Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to Uncut Sports Talk, featuring your host, Rhino, Brian Casher. I've known for a long time that you have no clue about baseball, and you literally go into a little room that's set up Moneyball style. You got four-eyed Bill in there, reading off algorithms, about players' talents, successes, whatever you guys punch into those things, you know, skills. But for Christ's sake, can you move away from the computer one time and let me enlighten you on something? We won 100 fucking games in the regular season last year. 100. We got our tits absolutely blown off in the postseason. And let me enlighten you on something else. Judge Blaine! And your co-host, Pye. The NFL is a joke. Um, the players, I feel bad for the players, honestly. Like, there's a lot of guys that probably, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys on that New Orleans team that, you know, are, are the 53rd man on that roster. And that extra $75,000 that they would have gotten for going to the Super Bowl, um, you know, in terms of the playoff checks, is probably a huge deal to them. I feel really bad for those guys. Um, I don't really give a shit about the, the the top guys as much, obviously. But I mean, like lives are changed, careers are changed. Um, you know, even the coaches too. Same thing. Like, there's a lot of those ancillary coaches that if they get their, you know, their their offensive line to the Super Bowl, maybe they're up for a, you know, a, a an offensive coordinator job somewhere or you know something like that. It's it, it's it's just a. A, a snowball that starts at the top of the mountain and just completely continues gathering momentum, gathering growth until it, it hits the bottom guys, and unfortunately those are the guys that suffer. And guest co-host, Chris. Some of these teams as they continue to do it. Just like you knew Tom Brady was going to send a dink and dunk his whole way up the field like he's doing for 17 fucking years. That's all he does. And, and the NFL just knew the NFL was going to make sure the Patriots were there somehow. You know, you can almost read this stuff on the wall before it even happens. Um, and, and I, I've, been, I've been a person who has not been a big NFL guy for years. I'm a sh- What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Uncut Sports Talk feature. Ryan and friends are February 25th, 2019, Monday night show. I'm your host, Rhino. I got co-host Paz and me and guest co-host back on with us for the first time in a little while. Chris, what's going on tonight, guys? What's up, boys? Ready to get, uh, get the show going. Got a lot to talk about tonight. Yeah. Glad to be back on tonight, boys. Thank you for uh, thanks for having me on again. Yes, sir. Busy schedule. Got uh, college basketball, some Duke thoughts. Uh, NHL trade deadline is today. Definitely going to get into some of that. Uh, discuss Rangers a little bit and, and got Chris for a little Penguins. Um, New York Yankees made an extension today. Typical Brian Cash and move. We'll touch on that a little bit. Get some uh, Chris feelings on the Pirates. Um, talk about Rob Kraft and his enjoyment of rubbing tugs and uh, Antonio Brown being the diva. So a lot to go, uh, a lot to discuss. 657-383-1692 is the call-in phone number to get a hold of us. Star College Basketball, Friday night, Indiana, Iowa. Um, 
uh, Indiana blows a six-point lead with 227 left. Iowa seems to start to enjoy the, what you call it, theme of dramatics. Um, comes back, wins an OT. I think, was that their third OT win in a row? Um, win an OT, lose Not, by one in OT. They lost. Win by two in yeah, OT, I think they lost right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. three OT uh, games yeah. in a row. Lost one, won one, lost one. So, or no, actually, that one was a buzzer beater right before OT. So, I mean, three, three basically, you know, two close games that go to OT. One game they lose on a buzzer beater. Uh, I don't think I was all that good. Indiana, as I mentioned, I've mentioned a lot of times here, had a very, very impressive opening start to the season. Looked like a top 10 team for sure. And the wheels have just completely fallen off. Uh, so only beating a Indiana team by six is just as bad as to me as the beating the likes of Rutgers by a buzzer beater that you get from uh, three quarter court. Uh, Buffalo blows out Kent State by, I don't know, whatever. Who cares? Twenty three. It doesn't really matter. Uh, anything on those two from uh, Friday? Pause, Chris. Nah, nothing for me. I mean, Buffalo did what they what they should have done in Iowa, like you said. I mean, they they might win a game, um, depending on who they get matched up with. But, uh, yeah, they're not going to – they just don't have the defense to, to really keep up with, um, you know, to stay with teams and, and don't have the real firepower on offense in order to, uh, you know, keep up. So, eh, maybe they get a – maybe they get one win uh, on that for opening Thursday or Friday, but I can't see them uh, going further than that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with pause. I, I don't see much out of either one of these teams. Really. I, I know that Buffalo team is always a little bit or has been intriguing this season so far, but, um, you know, tournament rolls around at all. You know, you start to see the separation a little bit, you know, maybe get out of that, like you said, out of that first, that first game, maybe even two, but, um, you know, it's all about the matchups at that point, really. So uh, I guess, you know, we just kind of see with these two teams, but nothing really. All right, Saturday. Uh, Duke beat Syracuse by 10. Um, I don't know. Look, I don't think this Duke team is that is that good without Zion. Um, he is uh, makes a big difference, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, he gets bold and exposed completely, um, really exposes the other guys that are considered, in quotations, big men, which are the likes of Javi, who's really just a, a, a four- that's versatile, I guess, is what you would call them at best. Um, you know, the likes of Jack White and, and et cetera. And uh, any team that plays up against us now when Zion's out of the game pounds the ball inside, and that's basically what Syracuse did. Um, they got a ton of second-chance opportunities. Looking at the team stats here, there was a late spurt where, like, for, like, six minutes where Duke pulled down every board in the last, like, six minutes of the game. Uh, I'm not going to go back and do subtraction now, but it says the offensive boards are actually only 19-14 in, in Syracuse's favor. Uh, I would venture to guess I could think of three right off the top of my head. Bolden came in and gave a pretty strong five minutes. In my opinion, the best five minutes he's played the entire season. And I I could, I know right off the bat I could think in my head he dished one out to Trey and dished one out to Barrett. And so uh, those two, and I want to say there was another two that were brought down. So really the discrepancy in my mind is about 19-9 till there's six minutes to play. And that was definitely paramount. Syracuse is getting a ton of second chance looks, and um, it to me, I thought that was the difference in the ball game, just getting pounded down inside. Um, 
and look, that's going to continue to happen in Duke until until uh, Zion comes back, plain and simple. And they're just they're just not the same team. Um, there's no doubt about it. I don't think they can win a national title without Zion. I don't really not sure what to think at this point. Uh, we'll get into something in a couple seconds, but you know, uh, Reddish again. He's like he's almost becoming. He's almost starting to remind me of like Caleb Martin from Nevada. Like you're the best shooter in the country when you're hot, uh, but mo- more nights than not, you're cold. And uh, you now these, this is two games in a row. He's basically being absolutely non-existent, and there's just no consistency consistency from whatsoever. Uh, Trey's really having a tough time shooting the ball. Like every time, I think there was a couple times he had a chance to put a dagger in, uh, like his brother used to, and his brother would always hit that shot. And um, he just doesn't. He just doesn't hit it. Uh, he, I see him. I'm noticing he's starting to. I don't want to call it double clutch, but like he's getting it, and he could just um, pull his body right up and take a, a jumper. And he's kind of like almost doing like a pump fake, but there's no one there to really pump fake out, which just tells me mentally he's kind of second guessing his shot right now. And, um, but you know, I, uh, just knowing his family, not knowing his family, but just the, the family drive that comes with them, the Joneses, I could see this kid just continuously being in Cameron indoor stadium till midnight, one o'clock to figure that out. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. Uh, Alex O'Connell has uh, a statement game for his career. Uh, as we mentioned on Thursday or Monday, it doesn't matter, last week, he was supposed to be the predecessor of Grayson Allen and, and the exact same athlete as Grayson Allen uh, with a better shot than Grayson Allen. Uh, as I you know, mentioned a pause in, in the March Madness thing, this kid's doing 360s behind, you know, between the legs, backwards, dunks. So, you, you know, he's athletic and he was considered a better shooter than and Grace Now was. And, you know, you saw Grace Now really flourish from his uh, freshman to senior year. Didn't see that from Alex O'Connell. Uh, both Paz and I had mentioned me- many times he looks very, he looked very scared in all the big games that matter. His percentages shooting the three and shooting the two are drastically different in games that matter uh, against the likes of uh, Kentucky. You got to toss out because he came in when Duke was up around 31, and, and that's when he made those shots. But uh, against the likes of opponents that actually matter, O'Connell's difference in percentages shooting is drastic compared to the likes of Army, Eastern Michigan. Uh, we played that Division Two team winner that Coach K. It gives the you know thank you to being part of the NCAA type of thing every year we play the division uh, NCAA Division Two national champion, etc. Uh, you're supposed to shoot good against the likes of those teams. So this is definitely a breakout game for him. Huge, a lot of big shots. Um, and he looked he looked like he got hot. So um, two games in a row, he he came in gave some significant minutes the other night too. Um, still plays no defense, but you know whatever. Uh, the biggest interesting piece to this whole thing is uh, Joey Baker, who I've been talking about all season long, yet there's nothing on the boards about him redshirting. There's nothing uh, anywhere anywhere you research. There's nothing about him redshirting. At this point, you just figured he was redshirting because it, we're now 27 games into the season, haven't seen him yet. Coach K pulls him off the bench for five minutes, nullifies his redshirt, and gets two boards and basically used them for three personal fouls. Two pieces to this. Uh, piece one, um, despite every time Coach K has a press conference saying Zion's definitely come back this year, but he's sitting out another game, definitely come back this year, sitting out a game, no timetable, but he's coming back this year. Um, is Joey Baker a inside knowledge to Zion not coming back this year and they activate Joey Baker because they're going to need him down the stretch. Maybe caveat two. 
Um, I don't think anybody can deny it. Our shooting has not been magnificent. Uh, Joey Baker was supposed to be one of the purest shooters since Dirk uh, Nowitzki. That, that's who they compare him to. Uh, as a is a tall guy, a forward, uh, just under seven feet that could step out and, and really, really uh, hit a three ball. Uh, that's the, a lot of the things that I read on the boards and uh, a lot of these scouts that saw him play on an everyday basis compared to Dirk Nowinski, uh, 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 one-legged back up from the curl and also this this long ball three to step out and really be a mismatch problem. So he took one, missed it. Uh, actually, it was real close. It was actually uh, toilet bowled out on him, but had two boards and then really was just kind of just used as a um, as a guy that could stack up fouls when we weren't in the one-on-one. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens moving forward. I, I'm still being as optimistic as I possibly can that Zion Williamson is returning this year. And until I see otherwise, I'm not going to think otherwise. But the Joey Baker thing is definitely very odd and concerning that you would throw him in after game 27, nullify a red shirt. And then it's not like he got all these minutes. He played five. Um, you would think that if you felt like you were in desperate need for a shooter, um, he would have been in earlier. This has been a problem for a long time now. It didn't just start last week. And if you thought against UNC was the first time you noticed we need a shooter, I find that hard to believe watching Coach K for the last 33 years in my life just realizing now that we struggle from three. So those are kind of my thoughts on that. Uh, and then I'll do BYU-Gonzaga. There's not much to say here. Um, Gonzaga doesn't play a soul. Their strength of schedule is like 212 or something like that, which is just embarrassing. Uh, they beat a BYU team by, I don't even know, who cares, almost 40. Uh, pause on those two, Duke-Syracuse, BYU-Gonzaga, and, and Chris. So when it comes to the Duke game, I didn't think Duke played or looked all that good. Uh, I watched pretty much all of this game. Uh, part of it was a, you know, listening on the radio, but um, I, I don't know. I don't, I didn't think they looked very good. And I think a lot of it just comes back to the fact that they're not used to playing with, uh, you know, without, not that they're not used to playing without him, but he really makes a, a huge difference with this team. And, you know, he kind of makes the 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 offense go and also makes the defense go. Uh, they looked a little vulnerable in the first half, and then obviously in the second half they really turned it on. And and because uh, I think they were they were losing at halftime, right? Um, yeah, they were down by five at halftime, so they outscored Syracuse by 15 in the second half. Um, R.J. Barrett really really good. Uh, what was he from the field? 14 of 20 from the field, two of five from three. Uh, he played really well. Um, and then it was really just him and O'Connell that played really well. Like Trey, Trey Jones didn't play great. Uh, Reddish, as you spoke about, I mean, he's, he's either ice, ice cold, or he's really on fire. There's almost no in between with him. I feel like he's, he's like a John, he's basically the next John Starks. Cause that's what John Starks used to be. He used to either be on fire and couldn't miss, or he just couldn't hit the backside of the barn. And he kind of reminds me of that. And like you said, he plays no defense. So it's not like he's really adding a lot to the team elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's just a product of that he, he didn't get many open looks. Because I do remember seeing that he was taking some contested jumpers. So maybe it was just that he was kind of forcing things that he thought that he needed to because because obviously Zion's not there and, and you know they they were down a little bit. I don't I don't know what the combination is of of why, but it kind of just seemed that way to me a little bit. 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, give O'Connell credit. This is the first time that I've seen him in a, you know, against a decent opponent where he didn't look like the, you know, the lights were too bright for him and, and he was sort of shying from the moment. He really stepped up. He shot the ball with confidence. He, he dealt the ball with confidence. I saw him make a couple of really nice passes, uh, pulled down some rebounds. Yeah, I, I thought he had a really, really good game, and this was by far the best performance in a Duke uniform. doesn't matter what, you know, if he – I think this was his career high, but even if he had scored more points in, in, a, in another game earlier in the year or last year, whatever it might be, this was definitely his, his best performance. Um, and, yeah, they – look, they, they beat a team they should have beaten. Uh, tough circumstances, obviously. Emotional with the – everything that happened with Bayheim last week. So – it was it was a good road win. It's not the easiest to play in the Carrier Dome, and they they pulled it out. Um, but they, I assume that they're probably going to keep. I I, I think Zion's coming back, so I think they're just going to keep him out until probably the UNC game. That would be my guess. So it's basically two weeks, and then uh, yeah, and then bring him back for the ACC tournament, and then and then go from there. And then as far as the Gonzaga game goes, I didn't see a minute of it, uh, but they won by 34, so whatever. Uh, you know, I think that's a good point with with Duke, the fact that they're probably – I always find it interesting in college basketball when you see an injury like this happen, especially this late in the year, just it's so hard to get back on track and try to figure out how you're going to make – um, the offense move and stuff, especially with a guy like Zion. I mean, you know, you got to think that most things in that offense were going through him in some way, shape, or form, a matchup nightmare for everybody um, and things just taking a little bit of time to work themselves out. Uh, I, I would assume that he's going to – I think that positive that that's a good target date to look at for him coming back, um, why they have to be so so coy about it. Like it's the NHL, I don't really understand. I mean, maybe they truly don't know with him. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he probably will at some point in time come back and really I think each time you're sitting down watching a Duke game, you're probably going to be holding your breath a little bit until you really feel uh, comfortable that they've, they've put things together. Um, I don't know who that player is, Rhino, that you're talking about, but that's probably a really um, good point because it seems silly to, to burn a red shirt like that when, when you really don't know what's happening and you're still sitting as a top five team in the country right now and, uh, it's not like you're you're out of things or anything like that. It seems like kind of a interesting waste and burn of a of a red shirt to me. If if that was initially going to be the plan anyway, but um, you know, and maybe even to going into like you said, the Carrier Dome's a tough place to play. Maybe sleeping a little bit on a, on a Syracuse team that maybe that really isn't probably all that that tough this year anyway, especially for some of these past Syracuse teams. And um, and with the Gonzaga game. Yeah, it, like you said, Rhino, they're not playing anybody, and it's it, you know they're going to end up being a high seed, obviously being the number one, taking over the number one uh, ranking in the country again uh, with the with the polls today or whatever. But it's they'll they'll end up kind of flaking out a little bit in the in the tournament like they usually do unless they get some really favorable matchups, which can always happen. Um, so we'll just kind of see what happens with that team. But uh, yeah, I mean you know the Duke stuff. I don't think that it's it's still so hard to really, I think, read things without knowing what's going to happen with Zion. But, um, 
yeah, it, it's got to be tough going out there. And I did watch a little bit, I think, of the second half of the game. I think I turned on just after halftime and watched a little bit of it um, and, and was a little bit surprised who they were down at halftime. But, you know, that's college basketball and that kind of stuff happens. So uh, we'll see what happens. I did just see on the ticker that he's ruled out for, what, tomorrow night against Tech, too. So that's going to yeah. be something that's going to be, you know, every single night or, or every single game coming up here and whether or not he's playing. Yeah. I really, as I said on Monday – or Thursday, I forget which one it was. I really don't want to see him back to the uh, the second weekend of the March Madness tournament. Uh, I, there's no reason for him to play the rest of the ACC schedule. He's remaining three games. Uh, Virginia Tech is Scrub City. Uh, they don't have anybody that can abuse us inside, which is where we'll be abused while Zion is out. They have all guards. Our guards will dominate their guards. I can't believe the spread is three tomorrow. Might be, have to be an, an all-in play for me in life and also in our show. Um, but that I don't care about them. I think the next one is against Wake. Who cares? And do I really care if I go 0 for 0 and 2 against UNC in the, in the ACC? No, I could care less. He's not going to play our starters anyway in the ACC tournament. What's the point? Let the kid get his five, or now we're down to what? So he's been. He'll get a weekend. He'll get about five weeks and change off if he sits out the first weekend. We don't need him the second weekend. There's nobody in the There's nobody in in uh, NCAA basketball this year that could beat us um, with him healthy. There's no reason for him to play. But um, the Joey Baker thing just adds a little, of, I don't know, intrigue to me. I don't I don't understand it all that much. So we'll see. Um, Virginia Louisville. I was on this one for college game day. Um, basically, Louisville just came out and shot the lights out. Um, they didn't make a two-point field goal until there was one minute and 21 seconds left in the first half but they were 10 for 16 from three in the first half. Um, and then Virginia came out in the second half, uh, just played lockdown D. I, uh, I took the second half also. Virginia was plus four, which is just it's insanity. Louisville collapses the last five or six games in a row. To think this Virginia team wasn't going to come back and at least go on a semi-run or at least get back in the game is, is just insanity. Uh, being down 10 plus four is a gift. They end up winning by uh, 12. So, uh, nice win for Virginia. You got to go on the route to Louisville despite their struggles. It's still not easy to play there regardless. Um, but their, their offense is still just, is just on a, a complete downfall. Um, Kentucky, uh, smacks an overrated Auburn by almost 30. Don't care. Vincent, Matt, Auburn, NC state being overrated all season, uh, Tennessee, LSU. So I watched this whole game. Um, this was, Hmm. How can I describe this game? Two teams that get a lot of hype that both aren't very good. I think that's the best way I could explain this game. Um, Tennessee had six or seven times they looked like this game was completely locked up and they had it all set and done with. Um, bad turnovers. Showfield basically puts them on their back the entire second half, then goes non-existent for the last. Uh, six and a half minutes of the game. Um, they continue, and I've been saying this week after week after week, they continue to not give their best player the ball. Williams is one of the top five players in the entire country. Somehow he literally goes in constant streaks where he never sees the basketball. I don't, I just don't understand it. I think it was against Kentucky or something. The kid's like eight for 10, 
and then he doesn't get the basketball like and then or something like that like he the guy is always efficient he does what he does they just don't give him the ball so in this one he goes five for 14 he literally doesn't see the ball like the entire second half they give him the ball twice comes up a monster bucket to tie the game monster bucket to go up to Bengals non-existent like do not work the ball into this guy lsu um a bunch of huge dudes who should be dominating on the glass don't really dominate on the glass at all against a Tennessee team where uh, statistically rebounding, they're not all that great, um, but um, they re- out-rebound LSU, which just should have put LSU even more. This kid smart gets a start because uh, both bone for Tennessee and waters for LSU had the flu. So Smart gets the start for Waters. Um, this kid does, didn't pass the ball the entire game, takes 28 shots, goes to the line another 10 times. He literally, there was dudes like he was getting tripled. It, he looked like R.J. Barrett against Gonzaga. Every single play, this kid just taking the ball, dribbling in the triple team, hoping he either gets fouled, throwing up some crazy shit. That's how he took 22 field goals. He, If he had two guys on him right as he got to the court, he would just fire up a three into double team. It was the worst display of basketball. And then he would talk so much shit that two times the refs had to come over and say to him, like, if you keep doing this, you're going to get teed up. Um, Paz and I talked a little bit to the end of this game. Atrocious play call by both these dudes. The LSU coach is about is getting uh, got, has a warrant out for his uh, subpoena to appear at court for his allegations along with Miller. So who knows if he's even going to be here for the tournament. But neither here nor there. He gives the ball to Waters to try and win the game for LSU. The guy who has the flu makes no sense. Tennessee gives the ball to Bone who has the flu and plays five minutes to win the game in regular re- regulation. Makes no sense. Two completely bonehead calls by two shitty coaches and then um lsu uh they're going back and forth exchanging baskets uh a rebound tip goes off the rim smart catch at the free throw line does a spin move and as he's doing a spin move can't recall it might have been williams i eh, i don't know uh sticks his hand in to slap the ball out they call a foul on him with 0.4 seconds left i've seen that play probably 1.5 million times between the tournament and regular shit and all the games i watched that's never called a foul it's just the time expires you go into double ot they call a foul and lsu gets two free throws and wins a game it was like the it was the worst ending i've ever seen i almost like felt like i lost three hours of my life actually sitting watching this game from start to finish um but uh, just for, it's a, just a dumb ending, and it was two teams to me that are, have all this hype about how great they are that both look like a complete and utter shit. Um, and then I'll just touch on this one, too, and then I'll give everybody four to talk about, I guess. Uh, Fresno State, Nevada. Nevada barely pulls out uh, a win against a shitty-ass Fresno State team that's definitely out of the tournament. They only beat them by six, almost two straight losses for Nevada. As Paz and I have said all year, here's another team. Uh, their strength of schedule was like 217. Um, just a complete embarrassment who they play every single week, like that Wyoming team they played uh, two weeks ago. So this team is going to be, uh, as both Paz and I said a billion times, a huge play against it. March Madness will be able to rip other people's seeds, and um, that's that. So there's four. Uh, Paz, Chris. All right. Um, so let's just go with um, – hang on. So Virginia-Louisville. Um, I – kind of called this one exactly on the uh, on the game day show. I said this was a 
I mean, not the way that it went, obviously, but the final score, I said it was this is basically a 60-50 to 50 ball game for me. Um, it ended up being a 64-52 ball game. So I actually uh, I had the, the under in this game, which worked out well. But, um, uh, yeah, I, Louisville, this team, this, this team's they're done. They can't close. They are not going to be competitive against a, you know, a formidable squad. This team is also kind of just completely playing themselves out of the tournament. They'll probably get in because they're in the because um, they're in the ACC and they have a win against uh, North Carolina. But I mean, oh, they also beat Michigan State, so they have Michigan State and and North Carolina as their two, you know, their two statement wins. So I guess that's pretty much better than anyone else on the bubble. So they're going to end up getting into the tournament. But I mean, look, if you look at this, they really should have lost that game against Clemson as well. That. This should be their their fifth straight loss and their sixth straight and their sixth loss in seven games. Um, this team is done. They're not going anywhere. They're gonna lose. They're losing their first game, pretty much no matter what. Whoever they draw doesn't matter. They're losing their first game uh, of the season. So there's really not much else to say here. I did like the way that Virginia played in the second half. That's the Virginia team that I want to see more often, um, and I hope that we do get to see more often the stifling defense and the, you know, the real efficient offense that they had there. Um, they shot, they ended up shooting uh, 46% from the field. Uh, they only went two of 17 from three. So that's a little concerning, but it's, it's nice to see that they were still able to have a, you know, a pretty explosive half with only going two of 17 from the three point line. So good for them. Good win on the road and uh, Louisville's done. So next, Auburn, Kentucky, it seems like a million years ago when Auburn was ranked, what were they ranked in that first game when they played Duke? Number six in the country? Number eight in the country? Something yeah, like that? Six, two, the, you yeah, know, it was two, verse, it, two verse, it was two versus two verse six, yep. Ah, this team, I mean, to talk about a, a team that everyone just got completely wrong, that is this Auburn team. They, I don't know if they're going to make it into the tournament. I don't think they should. They don't have a good win on their, on their uh, resume. But like we've said all year, the um, the bubble is really, really weak this year. So I could see them getting in just on the simple fact that, you know, they were they were thought of highly earlier in the year. But, I mean, their best win is – I'm looking at their schedule right now. Their best win, I guess, is against Washington. I mean, and Washington's leading the – awful Pac-12, which is a worse conference probably rating-wise than a lot of these, a lot of the mid-majors. Um, they're, they got to be ranked like ninth or 10th, I would think, in like power, co- in, you know, if you're ranking the, the conferences like by power, uh, power numbers, they, the Pac-12 would be down in that like nine or 10 area. So a win against Washington really isn't much. Um, at Arizona, I mean, that's, that doesn't matter. Uh, at Texas A&M, I mean that that really doesn't matter. Yeah, they they don't have a good win on their schedule. They oh they they beat Florida. Whoop de doo. Uh, yeah, they they're not a very good team. Uh, I don't think they should get into the tournament. Uh, I think you know one of these other mid major deserving teams should probably that plays at least you know up in their competition in out of conference schedule and then you know has a has a rough road in the in the conference schedule should probably get a seat over them. But we'll, you know, we'll know, we know the way the committee always goes with that. They'll end up getting in and, and probably getting blasted in round one. They, they'll, actually, they might play in one of those playing games, like the 12 seed playing games, uh, 
in, in the, you know, those Monday and Tuesday that uh, the, before the tournament starts, uh, but we'll see. Uh, next was, what was next? Oh, Tennessee. Tennessee LSU. LSU. Is there another? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, so, this was just a this was a weird game. I mean, this is this is a pretty bad loss for Tennessee. They they just looked they, they looked like they had this game in hand. There was I think they were up six with like four or five minutes left, and basically up they were basically up like six to eight to ten the entire game, and they just completely gave this game away. I, they went into a shell. It's just like you said, Williams was sort of non-existent at the end of the halves. Um, at the I mean at the end of that second half, other than getting that tying basket. And then in overtime as well, he was just completely non-existent. And I don't really think it had anything to do with like LSU particularly shutting him down. I think it was just a bad play calling, bad, uh, bad scheming by Rick Barnes. I mean, look, look at the, how many good Texas teams Rick Barnes had over the years and how they would never get past, you know, like the sweet 16 and things like that. So even here they had Kevin Durant, the best player in college basketball, they couldn't get past the sweet 16. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think it matters what kind of talent he has around him or, you know, what kind of a talented team he has. He's always going to fall short in the in the numbers game and the scheming game. And I, I think this Tennessee is this Tennessee team is gonna it's gonna be the same thing. They're they're not getting past the sweet sixteen this year. Unless they somehow ma- get matched up with a you know, a really easy uh a really easy couple of games. I could definitely see them losing in the first round or the second round and this LSU team sucks and uh, I will not have them going past the first weekend and not even, I won't even think twice about it. It doesn't matter who they're drawn against. Uh, they can't shoot and they, they have some good bigs inside, but if you're able to, if you're able to neutralize Reed, um, which Tennessee was able to do, but still somehow let a guard on LSU go off for 30 points, which is unfathomable with their, with their guard play. So this, yeah, I don't think either one of these teams are going anywhere. And Nevada, I don't like them at all. Uh, they're going to be a, a three or four seed that goes down in the first weekend, no question about it. So you guys do uh, an excellent job with uh, breaking down these games. And, and, you know, I just don't have uh, much more to say about them. also didn't get to watch any of them. So uh, good job by you guys. You're good. You'll take over the NHL segment. Um. All right, uh, Carolina blows out Florida State. I saw it this way. Paz saw it a little bit the other way. I just, like, <clears throat> when you look through North Carolina's schedule and strength of schedule, they just have so much more quality wins. I don't I don't particularly like them all that much. I see a lot of clickbait on ESPN saying that how people think that Zion Williamson made no difference in their victory the other night. I mean, you have to be on drugs to actually think that. But that's typical That's typical, typical ESPN uh, click play. That's what they do now. They like to start up, you know, like what's basically a little Twitter argument so they get some views and follows. So uh, to each their own. Um, but I just don't like Florida State's resume really at all. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're they're down by five when I when we got on the show to a freaking uh, Notre Dame who's absolutely atrocious. Like, uh, it, I'm just not really all impressed that they, they went on that. Yeah, so they're down three still to Notre Dame. That's embarrassing at home. Uh, that long winning streak they went on was against the bottom tier and scrubs the ACC. So we'll see what happens when they actually start have to start playing some some teams here. They they luck out and you know they lose a butter beater to Duke, but yes, but that's again without Zion they go abuse the inside. Uh, I'm not all that impressed by them. Um, not surprised really at all the outcome. 
Houston, South Florida conference is absolutely terrible. If Houston played anybody else, they'd be absolutely buried. Uh, I lose this on, I don't know why their Houston coach decided to foul the South Florida guys driving the lane to put them on the line who up 15, who knows why I ended up losing that uh, spread. Well, actually I pushed on the show losing real money uh, because the kid comes over half court and launches a three and hits it. So I lose by a point. Uh, sucks to suck. Marquette. Uh, love this game. Marquette blows out Providence by 18. Definitely going to be, I wish they would drop one or two just so I could use them, but they're going to be used by everybody now. Very, very good guards. Howard is a monster. Um, going to be very, very dangerous in the tournament. Their own team, their, their matchup problems will go against teams that have some length, have some size, but there is nobody in America um, that has, that they could that that can argue against them guard play wise because they could guard play with anybody. Um, Texas Tech. Uh, then I'll stop it here. Uh, yeah, I'll do one more after this. Uh, Texas Tech blows out Kansas by 30. Uh, as we mentioned on the College Game Show on Thursday, who knows what's going on with this Kansas program? Uh, Self is another one of the coaches that subpoenaed to show up at this this uh, this uh, federal court meeting. Uh, maybe Vic knew whole program's going up. They're down two starters now. Um, we'll see. Uh, they have a Kansas state tonight at nine. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to be anywhere near this Kansas team. I didn't think Texas tech would be able to put up over 90 points this whole season besides the likes of the school of blind and deaf. They played earlier this year. Good for them. Um, whatever. I hate this fucking conference. I don't think anybody's any good in the whole conference. So whatever. Uh, Purdue beats Nebraska by three. This game was back and forth uh, the entire game. Uh, Purdue actually was up by nine uh, late and then blew it on the free throw line, end up winning by three. Nebraska gets a a two-pointer to really pull it within closer than five. But this is really a nine-point game to close out. Uh, Purdue gets the, the win and the cover by three. And that will leave me with one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, go ahead, pause. Take it from there. Those five. Sure. Um, I'll just touch on the Florida State North Carolina game first. The we did see this opposite uh, on the College Game Day show. Um, I really like the way Florida State has been playing. I know they played the the bottom rungs of the of the ACC, but I just thought that they looked the way that they looked. It just you know the eye test kind of had me leaning a different way than, you know, than the fact that they were just playing the bottom feeders. Uh, I know that can happen against lesser competition, but I still think this team is going to be a pretty tough out in, uh, in the tournament. I think they're going to be able to make a run. I really like their, their inside game. Their guards are sort of coming back around a little bit. So we'll see. Um, This look, this, this North Carolina team is playing really well right now. I, you know, they, they are, probably one of the hottest teams in the country. I know they lost that game to UVA, but prior to that, they reeled off seven in a row. Then obviously they had the big win against Duke. So this is a team that I don't think anybody wants to face right now. And, you know, if the tournament started today, I think they'd probably be a two seed, but it's, they would be one of the more dangerous two seeds in the, uh, in the tournament. That's for sure. And definitely a team that, that no one wants to face. Um, their high scoring offense, their, their defense is starting to come around. So this is a really nice win for them. I know it was at home, but uh, against a really hot Florida State team, really good win, um, and they looked good doing it. Um, they shot 35% from three, so that's you know not that's a little lower I think than their than their season average. So they didn't play all that great, but they they looked really good. So good for them. Very nice win, um, and they 
they have a couple of easier games left on their schedule now until the until the Duke game. So I'm sure they'll probably be you know be on a six game winning streak when they face Duke last game of the season. Um, all right, next is Marquette Providence. So Marquette, yeah, this team is really good. Howard is like you were saying with Williams is a top five player in the country. I think Howard's probably a top five player in the country, and he didn't even have that good of a game. Um, and this team still absolutely blew out, um, blew out Providence. I mean, he was Howard ended up being only two of twelve from the field, but he was eight for eight from the three, free throw line. But you can just tell that he, the offense, still went totally through him, even though he was, you know, having not one of his better games of the year. So he's he's gonna. This is just an off night for him. I mean, if you look back at his game logs. Um, prior to prior to tonight, he was 28 points, 36 points, 38 points, 17 points. So, like, every once in a while, he sort of throws in one of those less efficient, not great games. But, I mean, then you go back 32, 31, 23, 24. Didn't play because he got injured, 26, 53, 26. So, I mean, he's a monster. And any time you have a team that has a, a guard like him who can put a team on their back – and, you know, literally carry them through games, they're going to be a very tough out. And I, I think this team wins at least a couple games in the uh, in the tournament. But um, we'll get to see them, I believe, Wednesday night they're playing Villanova at home. Uh, no, at Villanova. So that'll be a good game. We'll definitely be tuned into that on Wednesday night to see more of both of those teams. Um, Purdue, Nebraska. Uh, I didn't really get to see much of this game, but this is a nice win for Purdue. Nebraska is a, a tough team to play on the road. I know they're not very good, but playing in uh, at Nebraska is always a tough place to play. Good win. Um, Edwards did not do anything in this game, so I think that's part of the reason why they didn't look that great. I mean, he was only 3 of 16 from the field, 1 of 10 from 3. So I don't put too much stock. He also had five turnovers. So I don't put too much stock into this game for Purdue, but just that they got out of there with a win and, and did what they were, took, care, took care of business and uh, did what they were supposed to do. And then I think I missed one. Um, was it the Virginia Tech-Notre Dame game? No. Uh, oh, Houston-South Florida. So Houston started this game, I think it was like a 12 nothing run or 14 nothing run, and then they kind of yeah. just went stagnant a little there at the end of the first half. Um, to only end the half up eight points, and then – like you said, the ridiculousness at the end of the at the end of the game in terms of the spread. Uh, this was more of like a 15, 16, 17 point game, and uh, yeah, just some shenanigans there at the end. If I, you know, if I was more more of a conspiracy theorist, I'd almost think that there was some shaving point shaving going on here, but uh, I don't think that was the case. I, I just, I don't know. It was just a weird ending. Did you do Kansas Texas Tech? Oh no, I didn't. Um, so I didn't get to – unfortunately, I didn't get to see a lot of this game. But I – I mean, for like you said, for Texas Tech to put up 90 points against anybody, doesn't matter who they're playing or, or what. It's, it's pretty remarkable. To, they went 16 of 26 from three. So that was obviously the, you know, the big catalyst there. They, they blew Kansas off the floor in the first half um, and then just, you know, kept pace with them in the second half, which you wouldn't think this team would be able to do. But uh, – yeah, and like you mentioned, Kansas, big game tonight against Kansas State. Definitely be watching that game start to finish uh, as we are both kind of invested in Kansas State. Uh, I'm very surprised the line is five. 
I thought this would be closer to, you know, like a one or two point spread, but uh, I might have to get down with some uh, real cash uh, before the game starts. So we'll see. All right. Uh, Iowa State TCU, as Paz and I mentioned again, a billion times, uh, the most roller coaster team in the entire United States of America in terms of NCAA college basketball wise. Um, they could beat anyone, they could lose anyone. This is an embarrassing loss. Not going to lie. It is nearly tough, close to impossible to watch this team uh, or to watch TCU at their home court. The, the, the court is literally bright white. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying I'm like a baller, but I just have a regular 4K 70-inch TV, and it's like it's like an instant migraine. So I watched the most I could. My wife even complained about it. I put it I put it on dim. I had to take it off the live sports. Uh, there's like a, a thing you could do where the picture – uh, automatically sharpens for sports figure, movie figures, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, that court is, is hideous. I don't know how they do. It's like, literally, it's like they took white out and some, and some like little kid just like took all the white out and gallons, poured it on the court and just laid down on with his belly and just spread everywhere. It's, it's absolutely abysmal. Neither here nor there. Iowa State cannot lose to these teams. They continue to do so. I have no. I, I think I, I like on one ticket. I'm going to take this team to the to national title against Duke, and on the other ticket, I'm going to have them out on the first day because it's going to be one of the two. Good luck figuring out which one. I don't know. TCU stinks, and that's that. Um, VTech only beats Notre Dame by eight. Let's see what they shoot from three. These scrubs. Uh, wow. Only shot 27% from three, but listen, Notre Dame is garbage. So, I mean, you get, you get by teams like Notre Dame, only shooting 27%. Um, when they play good teams, shoot 27%, they get smoked. So no surprise there. Wisconsin Northwestern, listen to this whole game. I said on college game day, this was going to be a five to seven point victory at the most. I was hoping they would cover my three point spread. And I also took the under, um, this game went down to a last possession. They go in foul, believe it was Jackson foul Jackson. He hits two, uh, Northwestern comes down, misses on the inbounds or yeah. Yeah. Miss on the inbounds. And then they come back, seal it with the five. So, uh, this was a one point game with under a minute left, um, back and forth and look, Wisconsin, Barely keeps their hopes alive. West, as as we both mentioned on Saturday, Northwestern plays very close games at home. So, uh, man, they're they're another team right on the fringe. Things go a bit a little bit differently. Um, like someone, if they were in a mid major conference, I would say like look out for them in a conference tournament to steal a bid. But the Big Ten is is equal, if not a tad bit better than the ACC top to bottom this year. And um, they're not going to be able to pull off a, a run like that against uh, what's what's a completely loaded conference. Uh, Kansas State beats uh, Oklahoma State by four, almost 40. I didn't watch any of this one. There's no reason to watch a game like that. Uh, Maryland, you know, holds down the Ford at home court, takes out a, a pretty bad Ohio State team this year by 10. Uh, didn't see that one really. But, you know, I try to watch the ones that actually matter. The, those last couple really didn't matter all that much. Uh, pause in those final five on Saturday. Yeah, I'm just going to do the, the ones towards that you mentioned last first just to get them out of the way quickly. Uh, Maryland, Ohio State, good win for Maryland, did what they had to do. I didn't see a moment of it, um, so I can't really comment on it. But, yeah, like you said, this is a win that they, they needed and, and they got. So good win for them. 
good job um, and uh, move forward. Kansas State, Oklahoma State, I just watched a, a few minutes of it. Um, I sent you those pictures of, of how awful the, their uniforms were on, on Saturday. Um, I know that they like to they do the, uh, know, yeah. the, the lavender it's almost, uniforms. Almost as bad as the TCU court, but not as bad. They forgot the dye. TCU yeah. forgot that it's whiteout is not something you spread as paint. Both of them are failed right, exactly. measurably <laughs> in, in terms of apparel this weekend. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So Kansas State last year, so they do one game a year. It's like their next to last home game usually, I think. They, uh, they call it the lavender game, and they wear those like crazy lavender uniforms. So last year when they did it, the pants, the the pants, the shorts and the jerseys were the same color, and it, whatever, it looked, it was just a different shade of purple. It looked fine. This year they had the the dark purple shorts and the light purple uh, jerseys. It was, ooh, if you didn't see it, just check out a picture of it. It was pretty bad. Um, and yeah, look, they they did exactly what they were supposed to do. I know I mentioned that on the on the game day show that they they should win this game by at least twenty, but. If they were in a close game, I wouldn't have been surprised because of the fact that it was a little bit of a look ahead to the Kansas game tonight. Um, good for them. They were able to rest a lot of their starters. Uh, they, they're the player that played the longest out of their, their starting five was Brown. He only played 26 minutes. So it was nice for Wade to only play 11, Snead to only play 19, Stokes only played 18. So good job. Get ready for tonight. I'm healthy, ready to go. Um, and you know, for this big one, that'll that'll sort of because of the rest of their schedule that they have left, this almost will clinch the regular season Big 12 title for them and break the I think it's 14 years in a row of Kansas uh, Kansas winning the regular season Big 12. So this is a really big game for Kansas State. I think they know that, um, and I think they want to like kind of make a statement here that they are the best team in the Big 12, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, on the national stage and, you know, come uh, come March, uh, well, you know, come the uh, March Madness tournament. Um, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, I didn't see a moment of it, but like you said, same thing, only shooting 26% from three. They're not going to be able to do that against a good team and, and pull a game out like tomorrow night against Duke. They're not going to be able to shoot 26% and win. So props for beating Notre Dame, who – is actually still beating uh, Florida State right now. So, you know, maybe not the – oh, no, actually they're not. Florida State just pulled ahead. But uh, anyway, you know, a tough, like we've mentioned multiple times on here, Bray, just a tough year for him. Um, you know, one of the better coaches in America with just being dealt crazy injuries this season, and they're just not what they, what they usually are. Um, same thing, TCU-Iowa State. Iowa State's in a one-point game right now at halftime with Oklahoma at home. This Iowa State team is a really bad loss. This is probably their – let's see. I'm looking at their schedule now just in terms of their bad losses. So they have a bad loss at home to Arizona. At Iowa, whatever, that's a rivalry game away. Um, Iowa's a tough place to play. Um, Lost to Kansas State, lost to Kansas, lost to Baylor. Yeah, TCU. TCU actually swept them this year, so – not only did they lose to them on the road, but they also lost to them at home, and Baylor swept them this year. So, I mean, if you're getting swept by Baylor and TCU in a, in a you know in your conference schedule, I don't care what time of the year you're playing them. Um, you know, if there's a look-ahead game, whatever it might be, those are two, sorry, four awful, awful losses, and I just don't think that you can be a legitimate contender in the 
you know, in the, the national title race with four losses like that. I don't care. Um, I think I'm sort of, I'm sort of out on this team being able to beat anybody. I just, I, they don't look that good. And I think that I will not have them going past uh, the first weekend. doesn't matter. I, I, I just can't do it. I can't trust them enough to, to take them going past, uh, you know, the sweet 16. I just can't do it. Um, yeah, obviously it'll depend on matchups, but I, I just I can't see myself doing it. And then the last game is what am I missing, Rhino? Uh, I think you got it all. Oh, that's Wisconsin who I started with. Oh yeah, that was uh, the, I that was I the third to last one. Wisconsin yeah, you skipped yeah, over yeah. it. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see any of this game, uh, so I'm, I, it's it's tough for me to comment on. But you on the on the game day show, you did kind of call this one exactly. Minus the under, I guess, but uh, you know that it was going to be a close game. That it was with Northwestern plays tough games at home and, and things like that. But yeah, unfortunately, they won't be able to. They're not going to get into the tournament because they're not going to be able to, to take down the, the Big Ten. There's just too many teams uh, that'll be waiting for them to uh, to beat them. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, two yesterday. And then we'll that'll wrap up college basketball. Six five seven three eight three one six nine two phone number to weigh in. Whatever. Uh, Michigan State, Michigan. I watched this whole thing. That's all I do is watch college basketball now. I can't even. I'm not even gonna lie about it. This was one of the weirdest games I think I've seen all season in teams uh, in terms of like um, what's a good word like swings. Like usually, like a team goes on like uh, gets like momentum, kind of goes on a run, and then like they separate. And that's kind of like it, or you get a separation, like a, a hefty separation and a response, maybe tie, but the other team, you know, goes the team that already had the lead goes back into the lead or whatever. This, there was four substantial leads in this game by each team and it got exchanged the other way. Very, very weird. You never see that. It's always like a run, hold, uh, gain it back or run, take over, don't give it back. And I'm not talking like, you know, four, three, and then it's five, four. Like I'm talking about, uh, I'll kind of break it down for you. So that, so Michigan starts with the lead. They have the lead all the way down till 1540. Okay. They have a lead as big as four and six, all the way down to 1540. I have a big as a six point lead. Michigan state closes it out, right? They go, Michigan state takes the lead from 1540 all the way until, do, 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 10, 10, 10, 17. They extend. So Michigan has the lead by as big as six up to, up to 15. Michigan state has a lead as big as seven from 1540 up to 10, 17. So that's one exchange, right? Then Michigan comes back three, two, three in three minutes and 28 seconds. They take the lead back by one. And they go from the lead, take it all the way down until the 2.30 mark where McQuaid hits a three for Michigan State. They take the lead back. So in the first half alone, and then Michigan State extends that lead to 30 to four. So, and then it ends up being a two-point halftime. So in just the first half alone, you have four exchanges of leads by six points, seven points, Five points, seven points, close to two. Very, very odd. But then it doesn't change much in the second half. 
So you have Michigan comes out right off the bat, get fouled, tie the game up. So now we're at a, a 0-0 ball game again. And then, you know, you would typically think they go on a run. Now, Michigan State comes, retakes the lead. Then Michigan fires back, layup, three free throws, two free throws. They take a six-pointer, but then Michigan State comes back. They get it back even at 16. Then Michigan comes back, hits a jumper, a layup. They extend to three, two free throws, extends to five, a dunk, extends to seven. Now Michigan State sends lead all the way out to seven. Now we got 15 to go. So that's six. Six exchanges by five points or more. Flip the opposite way. Michigan State hits a layup. Michigan State hits another layup. Michigan State gets fouled shooting a three. They take the lead after five minutes, another exchange. They close a six-point lead to take a one-point lead with 11 left. And then they cut, They go back and forth battle again. Uh, the lead never gets bigger than, let's see, Michigan State got it to five with seven left. And they, oh, here you go again. Michigan State gets the seven with six left, but they never actually give it back. 62, it's five here. That's six. That's seven. That's six. Yeah, so they so basically they exchange that six, seven. They exchange seven leads by six or seven or more to go the opposite way. And then with seven minutes left, Michigan State takes a lead. Actually, really with like nine, they take the one-point lead. So with nine minutes left, Michigan State takes the lead in control. Just a very odd game. You never see seven long, extensive runs get switch-handed like that. You know, you, you, one takes over one or two points. One takes over the other end, one or two points. You get the four, get it back even. To flip, basically, that's a that's a 14-point exchange, a 12-point exchange, a 13-point exchange, 12-point exchange, 16-point exchange. 12 point exchange. So, you know, you don't really see that that often that those are big lapses in, in, um, in movements. Uh, and Michigan state gets victory. That's a huge, huge win for Michigan state. As we mentioned, they still don't have ward and Langford's done for the year. So those are two big starters ward, in my opinion, their best player. Um, that's a huge win for them. But, you know, as Paz and I mentioned, I mean, Michigan puts up 70 here. That should be more than enough for them to win with their, their, their stone hole or stone cold day. Not enough, though. Uh, and then Xavier knocks off Villanova. I wish that asshole would call back that called in the radio that told me Nova was another national championship. Tried to dispute all my college basketball points that I shut him down on and proved him wrong. Couldn't find any facts. I'd love to know what he thinks now that Villanova is uh, as 20 and 8 on the fringe and not getting into the tournament. They will anyway because the committee wants them and, and the coaching staff and their followers to get in. But this team is fucking pitiful, and I hope they get in because there's nothing I would love to see them get curb stomped. And that's all I got to say about those scrubs. Uh, pause on those last two. Yeah, um, I didn't really see any either of them, so I can't comment too much. Um, but based on – I was just kind of following them the entire time. And, yeah, the Michigan-Michigan State game was a little weird. But this is – I think this game says more about Michigan State than it does about Michigan. Um, for Michigan State to pull out a win like this on the road without Ward and, you know, Cassius Winston having a monster game like that, those are the – if Ward's not going to be back for the tournament, these are the types of games that Winston's are going to have to have for them to make a deep run. I mean, hopefully Ward will be able to come back maybe by that second weekend. That'll be, you know, similar to Zion. He'll have an extra week, um, you know, on Zion. So that'll be about six weeks. Hopefully he'll be able to, to get back and, and, you know, be back for that second weekend and really help them out. But um, yeah, it, it was a real statement game by Michigan state They're They're sort of setting themselves up for a, 
I mean, I don't think they can get a number one seed, but I mean, they're setting themselves up absolutely for a number two seed here. Um, and they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to be a tough out no matter what, no matter who's uh, no matter if Ward is back or not, they're definitely going to be a tough out in the tournament. So a uh, good win for them. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Ward going forward. Uh, Villanova, I didn't see any of it, but I saw that they got stomped. Uh, just a, a bad loss. You can't, if you have, you know, title aspirations, whatever, you, there's no way you can lose that game. Um, really bad loss and, you know, not much else to say. All right, that'll wrap up college basketball segment. Uh, we'll take a quick break, get into uh, NHL deadline trades, talk a little bit of Rangers and Penguins, I guess, more Penguins and Rangers. Um, I don't really want to get repetitive. My thoughts on what the Rangers did is exactly the same. It's been for a long time now. Just my thoughts of acquiring draft pick trades, but uh, we could discuss a little bit, I guess, but I just don't want to get repetitive. So we'll talk more Penguins. Maybe we'll do some, I guess, teams that were, you know, we'd consider winners or losers in the, in the deadline, uh, et cetera. So quick break. Uh, I want to talk to us six, five, seven, three, three, one, six, nine, two, right back with NHL trade deadline. Talk. Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Overzealous Foul Ball Catcher. Mr. Overzealous Foul Ball Catcher. You're nowhere close to that foul ball heading for the bleachers. Who cares? You're going for it. That ball's mine. Hot dog vendors, old ladies, infants. You mow them over like a diesel-powered combine. Yeah! Ashamed of your souvenir fervor? Hardly. You scratch and gouge your way to the ball like a bloodthirsty wolverine. You're a feisty rodent. So crack open an ice-cold Bud Light, Mr. Bully of the Bleachers. Because why pay for a souvenir when you can fight for one? Mr. Overton's Bud Light Beer, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. All right, back on Uncut Sports Talk featuring Rhino and Friends, 657-383-1692. Call in, discuss, whatever you want. Uh, I'm kind of going to – I'll just kind of rip through the trades here, and then maybe I'll do like three, and then, you know, we can kind of talk about whatever three, if you have anything on it. If not, we'll just we'll just move on past it, and then um, we kind of get into the teams. Uh, go in time order, I guess. So – uh, Nashville Predators get Wayne Simmons from the Flyers for forward Ryan Hartman, a conditional 2024th round pick. Winnipeg Jets acquire defenseman Nathan, I'm going to guess that's Baylou from Buffalo Sabres for a 2019 6th round pick. St. Louis Blues acquire Michael Delzato. Really? I didn't even know he's in the NHL still. From Anaheim Ducks for a 2019 6th round pick. Winnipeg Jets acquire Parr. Lindholm from Toronto Maple Leafs for forward Nick Petten. Anything on those four? Uh, the Simmons to Nashville is interesting because it's going to, it's really going to make that power play um, even better with uh, Subban and Neal um, and, and stuff like that over in Nashville. I, I actually think that that was, and to only give up a fourth round pick and some, what, who, whoever this, bum is that they traded uh i mean and the writing had been on the wall for a long time that wayne simmons was 
um, going to be out in Philadelphia anyway. So it, I, I do think that was a good trade for for uh, Nashville, and that should make that should make their power play in particular pretty good. Even though Wayne Simmons is having a bit of a down year, uh, it will improve that power play. And the sorry. other ones, I don't, I I don't on have you. any. I, sorry, and I don't have anything else on the other ones either. I didn't even know. Okay. I didn't know Delzato even got traded, so that was a that was a weird one. That's sorry, because I didn't know he's in the yeah, NHL sorry. still. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I was on mute there. Um, yeah, I think the uh, Simmons deal really helps out uh, helps out Nashville. They've on a, been on a little bit of a skid here, and I think that you know. Simmons is one of those guys that's going to give you a physical presence, especially on the power play. Um, and, you know, always just kind of be, be a little bit of an enforcer, um, an enforcer type. So I think that that's a, you know, a, a very good trade. He's probably, let's see, looking at all the guys that got dealt today. Uh, I mean, I guess he's towards the, eh, I guess maybe Nyquist, um, but yeah, I mean the the Simmons deal was is probably one of the the bigger ones of the of the day. That's for sure. And I think it's a good move for the the Predators. I think they they absolutely needed uh, you know a, a tougher presence there, especially on the power play. And uh, this is a, a good move for them, especially only giving up a fourth round draft pick. Uh, Delzato, yeah, I uh, I didn't really even know that he got traded either. Um, but I do see it here. Where is it? Holy crap, where is it? Sorry. Oh, for a six-round draft pick? Yeah, I mean, look, the Blues, they've been on fire recently, and they've been clicking on all cylinders. So I guess this is just more of a – this is just more of like a depth add for them. They're not – you know, Delzato will probably be a healthy scratch on some nights and – I think this is just, you know, to, to sort of make sure if anyone gets injured, they have a little bit of a, a contingency backup plan and, uh, you know, that, go from there. And then what was the – sorry, what was the uh, – were those the only two you mentioned? I'm sorry. Uh, so I did – Winnipeg uh, acquires Nathan uh, Ballou from Buffalo for a six-rounder. And yeah. Winnipeg also acquired Par Lindholm from Toronto for Nick Pettin. I did those two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know much about that. That's those either one of those trades, but same thing. I mean, if you're trading a six-round draft pick for a, a defenseman, it's more so just a a depth add, and they're you know in case someone gets injured, things like that. Um, but yeah, the the Jets are showing that they are going for it. That's that's for sure. They're they're in win now mode, and um, you know, along with the Kevin Hayes uh, acquisition, they. Uh, you know, they really showed that they're they're going for it now, and they're kind of set up to go for it now. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Next one. Vegas Golden Knights acquire Mark Stone and forward Tobias Lindbergh from Ottawa for defensive Eric uh, Brandstrom, forward Oscar Lindbergh, and a 2020 second-round pick. Winnipeg Jets acquire forward Alexander Broad, Broadhurst from Columbus Blue Jackets for future considerations. Nashville Predators acquire Mikel Granlud from Minnesota Wild for forward Kevin Filla. And Winnipeg Jets acquire defenseman Bogdan Kislevich from Florida Panthers for a 2021 seventh-round pick. Uh, why don't you guys take those 
before I get to the next ones. Yeah, I'll, I'll just take the I'll just take the Mark Stone uh, trade because I don't really think any of the other ones really have much of a uh, of an impact here. Uh, Mark Stone, he was actually being sought after by a few different teams, and ultimately the Knight, Golden Knights were able to to land him. Um, I mean, look, they gave up Oscar Lindbergh, who's just a nice you know sort of depth forward, um, second round pick, yeah, in 2020, sure, and then this. Uh, uh, defenseman who really didn't get too many minutes with them and, uh, you know, wasn't too, wasn't really high on their, on their need list. Uh, so yeah, good trade for them. Mark Stone's a nice, a nice ad for them. Uh, they'll fit in well. And it, uh, I, I think this sort of helps them in their playoff push coming up here. And then the other, like I said, the other trades, I, I don't really know too much about um, the Fiala for Grandland deal. I think that was just a, one of those things where neither player was really working out in their current situation. So it's like, let's kind of switch scenery and, and maybe hope that it, it sort of jump starts either one of them. And, and uh, you know, we kind of find a diamond in the rough there. Yeah. I, the other deals other than the Mark Stone one. Yeah. Those are all nothing really interesting there. The thing about the Mark Stone one that I found kind of interesting was they signed him right away to like a six year deal with a ton of money. And, I don't know. I, I just something. I have a feeling that uh, they're going to end up not liking that deal uh, down the road eventually. Um, I'm still not sold on what's going on in in Vegas. So I think I mean they're good again this year. I understand that, but um, I, don't know, I still think they're a little bit of a bunch of guys kind of playing over their head to some degree. Um, I think Mark Andre Fleury being as good as he's been um, the last two years for them as well. But it's a good trade because he is having such a good a good year this year, and it does it does look like with a lot of these deals that that the West was really, really active um, with trades this season. And it's going to be that that conference really beating itself up this year uh, when the playoffs roll around. And that's always, that's always fun to see, to see some of these teams that have a lot of weapons and some of these series really just going after each other. So this Mark Stone trade with Vegas will certainly, um, will certainly help whenever they, whoever they're playing in the playoffs as well. All right. Uh, Vancouver Canucks acquire forward Tanner Pearson from Pittsburgh for defenseman Eric Goodbranson. Pittsburgh Penguins acquire defenseman Chris Weidman from Florida Panthers for forward Juan Sebastian Day. Colorado Avalanche acquire forward Derek Broussard. This poor guy has been traded like 25 times in like the last like nine months, I feel like. But every time you look Three up, he's kind of been traded. Is that what it is? Like, Jesus, dude. I feel yeah, like every three, time there's a yeah. trade, he's involved in some type of way. Um, Colorado Avalanche acquire forward Derek Broussard and conditional 2026 round pick from Florida Panthers for 2023rd rounder. I guess we can't feel too bad. He's been ranked like a uh, top 10 hottest wife in all of sports for like the last like seven years. So I guess <laughs> I can't hate up too much. He's got a lot going for him still. Uh, and then Winnipeg Jets acquire forward Matt Hendricks from Minnesota Wild for a 2027th round pick. Uh, why don't you guys take, how many was that? Was that five? That was four. Four. I'll do one more. Yeah. Boston Bruins acquire forward Marcus Johansson from New Jersey Devils for a 2019 second round pick and a 2020 fourth round pick. Go ahead. Go, you guys go at it. Yeah, I'll just I, I'm just going to take the Bruins pick. I think again they they were kind of lacking on the the offensive end there a little bit. Um, you know, dealing maybe with an injury or two. So I think that was just a nice add for them. They did give up a lot for him. Um, but I think they're they're again in win now mode. I think they kind of see themselves as the 
if the Lightning aren't going to get out of the Eastern Conference, then they're probably the next likeliest, uh, possibly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that they're sort of in win-now mode, and they think this uh, conference is sort of ripe for the taking and, and, and something like that. So uh, this is a good move for them. Um, and then the other stuff, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to look into the NHL trades all that much, so I can't speak too much on them. Um, but I'm sure, Chris, you can sort of talk about the, the Penguins deals. And, and uh, actually, I will say that with the injuries that the Penguins took on the defensive end – on Saturday night against the Flyers. I don't know what the outlook is for Latang and I forget who the other guy was that got hurt, um, but I'm, I'm sure that these two trades – yeah, yeah, Dumoulin. I'm sure that these trades had something to do with that. Yeah, I'll start with the Bruins trade. I agree with you. I think they probably gave up maybe a little bit too much for him, and I, but I don't know what their years of control um, is on, on Johansson's contract. I'm not I'm, – I'm, I think he signed his – Free, uh, free agent a couple years ago with them or last year or something like that. So they might have years of control there, which is good. And the Bruins are good. Um, that, that division is – that's a tough division, a little bit um, top-heavy there with the Lightning and stuff like that. But that division is is very, very good. Um, the Broussard trade, you know, the thing with Derek Broussard is um, he was very good on some mediocre Ottawa teams. And then he came to Pittsburgh, and he just couldn't seem to get over the fact that he was – a third line center behind Malkin and Crosby. And he just was not able to get things done here. Like he wanted to. And a lot of, there was a lot of different stuff out there that he was kind of basically just being a bitch in the locker room too, because of that um, kind of being a little bit of a baby. So, uh, you know, to see him go and to see him get traded again, I, I wonder what his role is going to be in, in Colorado. But again, being out in the West coast, getting to, um, he's going to have to play against some formidable defensemen, defensive pairs, uh, like in Calgary and San Jose and Winnipeg. So, uh, that's not going to make things any easier. The two Penguins trends, um, yeah, I, they definitely are predicated based off of the uh, injuries from the weekend. It, the word is is that from from GM today that Latang's injury is not um, expected to be at the neck, and it's not expected to be long term or anything. It actually happened when he, when they kind of went after Simmons after Simmons laid out Dumoulin. Um, so they said that's not going to be long term. And actually, when they traded for Weidman, he actually got sent. Um, right away down the AHL. So that's probably, if anything, more of an insurance policy. Hey, the playoffs are going to roll around. Let's, let's have this guy up in case we need him type of thing. Um, and then the good Branson, you know, they had been trying to make it a point um, really all season, despite the fact that they traded Jamie Alexiak, uh, that they wanted to get a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical. If you look at good Branson's um, expanded numbers, his numbers actually over his career aren't bad. He was on a terrible Vancouver Canucks team. I mean, he's like six foot five and he's going to be tough. You're not going to be able to push him around, you know, especially once they get healthy, you know, assuming that Dumlin is not too, too long. The tank comes back. You know, this guy should be able to slot in somewhere a little bit further down the line. And he kind of gives you a little bit of an insurance policy too, for a guy like Marcus Pedersen, who uh, is young and doesn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of playoff experience and you can kind of insert this guy as needed for when some maybe these younger guys are having a little bit of struggle. And I also think that he's probably, and a lot of people aren't saying this, but I think he's probably a little bit of an insurance policy for Jack Johnson. Um, 
which might be one of the worst signings that uh, Jim Rutherford has done. It was the signing of Jack Johnson, all the money that that, that, that bum is making. Uh, I think they're just concerned about how good or bad this guy really is. And I think, he, I think he's absolutely fucking terrible. But um, he, he's just not good. He looks lost most of the time. And if he's not playing on his, on his correct side, which I think is the right side, he just looks like he's never played hockey in his entire life. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I, don't, I think they would have liked to stay away from having to make any moves on defense. But, hey, Saturday, Saturday may have changed that for sure. They probably would have liked a, a, another guy. And for them to get rid of Tanner Pearson, a lot of people are making comments about that. But I, I, don't, I don't understand why people, especially in this city, lose their shit over bottom six forwards. Who cares about a, a fourth line left wing? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make any difference at all. That's, that's not what's going to make or break you in the long run. So um, I, I don't really have a problem with any of the trades. And they didn't give up a first round pick. Um, they're excited about the draft this year to be able to actually have a pick. So uh, th- those are my feelings on those, on those four trades. All right. Good work. Uh, Blue Jackets acquire Adam McQuaid from the Rangers for defenseman Julius Bregman, 2019 fourth round pick, 2019 seventh round pick. Only the Rangers could, as always, give more away for a guy to acquire him than they get back in return when they trade him. You know, typical Rangers. Uh, Calgary Flames acquire defenseman Oscar Fattenberg from the Kings for a 2024 round pick. Carolina Carolina Hurricanes acquire forward Thomas Jerko from Florida Panthers for future considerations and Cliff Pooh from the Hurricanes for future considerations. (laughs) Montreal Canadiens acquire forward Jordan Wheel from Arizona for forward Michael Chapot. Chef's probably French, actually. Chaput. Winnipeg Jets acquire forward Kevin Hayes from the Rangers for Brendan Lemieux, 2019 first-round pick and 2022 fourth-round pick. And Columbus Blue Jackets acquire goalie Keith Kincaid from the New Jersey Devils for 2020-2022 fifth-round draft pick. Take those away. So Kevin Hayes um, showed signs throughout his career of being a really good player. Um, I just think that it didn't, there weren't enough of those stellar moments from him. Um, And look, the the Rangers were able to turn him into a first round draft pick. I understand Rhino, you and I, we've had this conversation today about how you'd rather get uh, actual stock back than, than draft picks, especially with the way the Rangers draft and how they always usually screw things up. And the, you know, the Jets are probably going to end up in that 24th pick or so. So it's not exactly a, you know, a top, a top pick or whatever, but I mean, to turn Kevin Hayes into a first round draft pick and, and this guy, Brendan Lemieux, who actually had a lot of people calling about him um, right after the Rangers dealt him, there was actually talk that they were going to deal him right away back as well to, to somewhere. But um yeah, I, I don't know. Look, it's it's a first-round draft pick and, and a player for Kevin Hayes. I think that's kind of expected of what they expected to get. I think they, you know, they did pretty well on that deal, um, whereas, you know, the Zuccarello deal, I, I feel like they didn't do that well, which I don't know if we'll get to or whatever. But, um, yeah, uh, and then the others, I, I – unfortunately, I don't, I don't have much to add to the to – the, you know, the NHL conversation for today, other than the bigger trades on the, on the docket. 
I I actually think that uh, good for the Rangers to get a first round pick for this guy. You know, a lot, a lot of things that I've read is a lot of people are really really high on this draft. So anytime you're going to have multiple picks in the first round, especially for this year, um, it sounds like it's going to be. And when we're talking about draft prospects and stuff, that's not an area I know much about is with these hockey players. But everything I'm reading is that's supposed to be a good draft. So you know, I, I think that you're that that, that the Rangers are in a good spot being able to acquire that that first round pick for a guy like that. And I'm always happy to see some of these players who can pay to go off to the West anyway. Like that's, you know, that makes things easier in, in the East a little bit. Um, the blue jackets, the uh, Kincaid deal, that's just an insurance policy because their backup goalie has been so um, atrocious pretty much all year. I mean, he's got like a, he's got like an over three goals against average and stuff like that. So he's just, he's just kind of a bum. Um, the blue jackets made, you know, a lot of moves actually. What was the other move that you talked about for them? Um, uh, they I made a ton. I think. Was, I think they. They won. The, in my opinion, they won the trade deadline over every team. Yeah. I, I don't even think it's close did. either. They kept. They kept Panarin and uh, Bombrowski mm-hmm. or whatever, and, and then added all these dudes, man. Uh, we'll get to that though. We'll get to some winners and losers after. But go ahead. And and you know, and they added Matthew Shane too. So so yeah, on paper, definitely the Blue Jackets look like they for sure um, had a had a pretty good had a pretty good uh, trade deadline and grabbing on some guys. And, especially when you know guys like Panarin are going to end up walking and stuff at the end of the season. Um, oh, Adam McQuaid was the other one that we were, that we were kind of talking about. Um, and, and, you know, Rangers only get a fourth and a seventh. But, I mean, again, you know, the, maybe you don't do much with those. But those also are picks that, that maybe, well, probably not next year, but maybe in the offseason can also be traded away for a guy too. I mean, you don't know how those picks are really going to shake out, um, especially when you're talking about those later on picks. Uh, I, I don't think anybody should really – give two shits about what got what teams like the Panthers and the the Panthers and the Hurricanes are doing. I mean, especially when you're hearing a guy gets traded for future considerations, he's going to go sit down in the minors somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, the Blue Jackets to make that to make some of those moves, you know, definitely is going to, is going to help them big time um, moving forward. But we're also talking about a, a, uh, an organization that has yet to win a, first round, um, a first round playoff matchup. And, and in all honesty, if they're going to have to continue to play teams like the Capitals and the Penguins and stuff like that, they're going to have a hard time doing it because it's not, it's not easy with this playoff format to beat those teams within your division um, and, and to try to do it year in and year out in the playoffs. It's just not easy to do. All right. Uh, San Jose Sharks acquire Gustav Nyquist from the Red Wings for a 2019 second-round draft pick, and it's 2023rd-round draft pick. It's pretty cheap for Nyquist, I think. I mean, down year for him, but he's a fucking player, man. That's uh, second and third. Not bad. Uh, Sabres acquire defenseman Brandon Montour from Anaheim Ducks. For defenseman Brandon Gale prospect and a 2019 first-round draft pick. Uh, let's see. Irrelevant, irrelevant. Dallas Stars acquire forward Matt Zuccarello from the Rangers for a 2019 second round draft pick and a 2020 third round pick. Zuccarello has a goal and assist, goes to block a slap shot from a defenseman in the last two seconds of the second period on Saturday, breaks his arm, possibly out for the season, getting surgery after swelling goes down. Big loss for Dallas. You make that kind of acquisition. That's just um, that's just bad luck. There's really no way to. There's no other word for that. Uh, Columbus uh, Blue Jackets acquire Ryan Dezingle and 2019 seventh round draft pick from Ottawa for forward Anthony Declare, 2020 second round pick and a 2021 second round pick. 
Dallas Stars acquired defenseman Ben Lovejoy from New Jersey Devils for defenseman Connor Carrick and a third-round draft pick. Capitals acquired defenseman Nick Jensen and a 2019 fifth-round pick for Detroit Red Wings for defenseman Madison Bowie and 2020 second-round pick. And then, yeah, go ahead, take those, because there's like three or four left that are actually have some significance. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just, again, I'm going to take the Nyquist deal. Uh, I think they might have given up a little much, um, but, yeah, Nyquist really puts them kind of at the top of the the West now. I think that the Sharks know that the Western Conference this year is completely wide open, and they have as good of a shot as anyone to get get out of the West. Uh, I think this kind of moves them up a little bit. This might make them if not the favorite in the West, I'm going to just pull up the, the Western conference right this second. Um, if not the favorites in the West, I mean, with, uh, I think Winnipeg and Nashville, they got to be, the, yeah, the whole conference I mean, I, is I think they're flip, still, Good luck. yeah, yeah. I, I think any of these teams can really get out of there, but I think San Jose and Winnipeg and Nashville are probably the three favorites. Um, if you were to look in Vegas, I would assume that those are the three, the three favorites in terms of, uh, you know, odds to win the, the Western Conference. So, yeah, good for them. They, they added another offensive piece, and I, I think this, this kind of moves them up as probably the, the clear favorite now in the, in the Western Conference. And then I'm going to let you, Chris, take the, take the rest of them. <clears throat> Yeah, you're talking about with with um, moving Nyquist. I mean, yeah, it's a good deal. And too much for a rental player because he's at the end of his contract too, and he had to waive his no trade clause even to even to make this happen. So, I mean, maybe they have the money to be able to sign him in the off season. I don't know, um, but but you're, you're talking about probably a pure a pure rental player um, in Nyquist, and he's probably going to cash in pretty well um, in the off season. Hey, maybe the Rangers come calling. Um, the Sabres move, you know, I don't know. They're they're on the outside looking in right now. I just don't think they're quite there. Um, I don't really know much about this guy, and um, they gave they got a they gave up a first round pick. Um, that's going to be San Jose. So I, I don't know. Maybe this guy, this Brandon Montour, must be pretty good to get first round pick. So, but but again, I don't think this is going to be the thing that's going to get get the Sabers quite over the hump yet. They might be a different story next year. But I think they I think they might just not have enough left for this year. The Matt Zuccarello, a, a good trade for the Stars, a guy that um, I know a lot of people here in Pittsburgh were have for the last couple seasons have been hoping maybe they could they could pull something for. Really, really unfortunate for him though too to have that, you know, to literally play like two periods and then, and then break your arm like that. That's, that's really probably makes um, their, their season close to over anyway. And then was the other one, the, uh, the Nick Jensen to the Capitals trade. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know yeah. much about him. I, I know the Capitals have really struggled all season. Niskanen's not having a good year. Brooks Orpik is just too old anymore. Uh, I know they've really been struggling on defense, and, and I and um, hope he hasn't been having the best year ever. But you know, we're talking about the West. You know, has really, really seemed to get more powerful, um, and, and the East maybe not quite as much. But these Eastern Conference teams are going to do the same thing. They're just going to sit there, especially in the Metropolitan Division, are going to sit there and just beat the hell out of each other night after night um, when when uh, the second week in April rolls around. All right. Another Columbus Blue Jackets big ad. Uh, acquire Matt Duchesne 
defenseman Julius Bregman from Ottawa. For a forward, I'm not even going to attempt the name. We'll probably never hear about him. Uh, Jonathan Davidson, that's a little bit easier. I'll name that one. A 2019 and 2020 first-round pick, uh, one of them being conditional, one of them being mandatory. Capitals acquire Carl Hagelin from the Kings for a 2019 third-round pick and a 2026 round pick. Boston Brewers acquire forward Charlie Coyle for the Minnesota Wired for forward Ryan Donato and a 2019 fifth-round pick. Um, Flyers got Cam Talbot. Not really much to mention. Pittsburgh Penguins acquire defenseman Bleak. Cybaneller from the Columbus Shackers for a 2019 seventh rounder. That's really, yeah, that's about it. That's about it that I see. Why don't you take those and then we'll kind of, we kind of get in some winners, losers, and just thoughts about our teams perspectively. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to defer to you, Chris. I, uh, I'm not too well versed, like I said, about these, uh, about these trades that happened. Um, the, I mean, the big one, I think definitely the big one was, was the Duchesne one for sure. You know, everyone knew that he was going to be moving, and that really does give the Blue Jackets a lot of firepower up front. And just as a as a Penguins fan, it's also kind of scary because he also has a little bit of a history of beating up on the Penguins to himself with all those years that he was even just playing with the Avalanche. Um, the What did you say? The uh, What was the other ones here? Um, I'm trying to look at them too while we're sitting here. Um what were the other ones, Rhino? I don't even think they really had oh, any meaning, man. We could we could just skip them. There I was, don't think so. It was the only other one I was Cam, Cam Talbot, Talbot Cam which Talbot is yeah, for Philadelphia. That's, again, that's just a yeah. That is because their their goalie situation's been a mess for years. So um, they're just trying to they're just trying to plug a hole. Basically, is all they're trying to do. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Charlie Coyle to the Bruins. That was the other one, but mm. uh, it doesn't seem like anything. Yeah, I do want to touch on that. Haglin. Oh yeah, go ahead. What's key about Haglin for the Capitals is the fact that um, he can kill penalties. He's going to give you, he's going to give you good minutes. I don't think he quite has the speed that he had, especially when he was in New York and certainly his first couple seasons in Pittsburgh, but um, he's going to be able to go in and kill penalties. He's going to give you, he's going to give you solid minutes down in that bottom six role. So that's actually a halfway decent addition. And he's got a ton of playoff and Stanley cup experience, which, you know, you can never, that's one of those things in in the NHL you can never have too much of is, is, is playoff and Stanley cup experience for sure. Yeah, 100%. All right. Um, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, so I kind of killed the buzz right. I would definitely say that I think my winner of the deadline is Columbus. Um, keep Panarin, keep Brovsky, add uh, uh, two Ottawa guys in Duchesne and Dezingle. Um, you know, they, it, the one thing about the NHL is there's always like these like side gigs. Like, so I, I see that a big one here is it's steep. It, it, they end up having to give two first rounders and two prospects if Duchesne resigns with them. Um, but look, from a go for it now standpoint, uh, those are two big ads. Um, they get McQuaid and actually get him at a cheaper price than the Rangers got him for. Rangers had to pay more for McQuaid and then trade him and, and get uh, get less in return. So they get him on on the cheaper. No surprise there when you deal with the Rangers. And, uh, I mean, Kincaid to be a backup goalie for a fifth-round pick, not bad at all. Um, look, they're obviously short on picks, but, um, you know, uh, they're, they're, they win for an all now. And, um, 
I, I definitely think there 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 would be my winner. Uh, you know, especially too, and I would say Ottawa from a standpoint of a rebuild type of thing, I think they're a big winner getting all those picks and prospects in return. Uh, especially if Duchesne, you know, resigns now, they essentially have four first round picks, which would be pretty insane. Um, I guess you would have to say what Dallas probably loses out trying to go for it. They lose on bad luck, but yeah, I would go Columbus as my, uh, kind of my deadline, uh, winner. Yeah, Winnipeg maybe too. They added some nice pieces, possibly tried to pick a one. So, but uh, I think Columbus, uh, Duchesne's a really, really good player, and um, yeah, maybe they don't resign him and just get him as a rental. I mean, it's not terrible. Uh, go ahead, guys. Uh, I, think, I, I agree I, with you. I, 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 go ahead, pause. Go ahead. No, you you continue. You take it since you're going to be much more insightful than I will be. I, I was just. I agree with you that I think Columbus. Um, I, I think Columbus probably won overall. I am going to give. Um, a big nod to uh, the Sharks because I, I do I think that addition of Nyquist is huge for them up front and and they're already so stacked on the back end with Burns and Carlson and their their entire defensive crew and then they've they've got Martin Jones and Net I think that they're really really going to be a force it's hard to argue with the Jets as well too but but um, I, I would say that that was a big addition because I think that one. Is big and it flies under the radar a little bit, whereas like the Duchesne one, hanging on to Panarin, you know what what Columbus did. But I just when I look at all this, I just see you know Columbus is still with all those with all that that they're still only one point up on you know the two teams in front of them right now with points and everything like that. So uh, you know may, maybe it turns them around, but it's not guaranteed anything. Whereas I think the Sharks are already kind of tramping at the bit and. They just, I think, really are going to be able to get a lot better adding a guy who has up over, I think, up over 60 points already this year and stuff like that. So I'll go with, I'll go with the Sharks. Yeah, the Sharks are going to be mine. I think that, that uh, Nyquist deal uh, really puts them as the favorites out there in the West. And uh, I think that was – even though they gave up a lot and, you know, he, is, he might just be a rental, um, I still think that was a pretty significant move for them. All right, and then just from a, you know, we're a tri-state area station, so 657-383-1692, if you want to chime in on any of this. Uh, I guess just from a Ranger standpoint, look, I don't want to be repetitive. I'm going to be as short as it's impossible. I just um, I just really, really think it's nearly impossible to do a, a rebuild in the NHL merely off draft picks. Um, I understand that people at the trade deadline, the ones acquiring are teams that are going to be in the playoffs. I get that. Um, but that doesn't help us out at all that continuously we stack these picks that are going to be the 30th, the 60th, the 90th round picks because all the, the these picks we're getting from these teams end up going to the finals or the semis or the Stanley Cup. And we're sitting here with, you know, jerking off with a 27th round pick. I like the deals where we get back guys like Nemestikov, who's a young guy. Guy, a good player. He's been good for the Rangers this year. Um, that that that's the things I think you need in return in the NHL. Unless you have a, in my opinion, a top ten pick in the NHL, um, it is not like these other leagues where you could find a guy in the seventh round. Those those guys in the NHL are very few and far between. Um, so 
look, uh, we lose the McQuaid deal. Uh, We uh, pay a three and a six to get him plus a player. We only get a four and seven return. That's a loss. Um, Zuccarello, I I forget what it is, but again, the two teams that we deal with this year, uh, both of us mentioned as a uh, potential title contender or best, uh, best trade deadline mover and uh, the Tampa Bay pick. They look, they are a ridiculously heavy favorite in Las Vegas to win the Stanley cup. That's, going to be a back end 30th pick the other two are probably going to be somewhere around the 26th 30th so unless you're telling me that there's 30 guys with number one pick talent in the nhl draft um look the outlook is exactly the same it was before these deals the hayes uh, the hayes deals uh, uh, there's a lot of people bitching today on the on their sports radio look the hayes deals a, a move you have to make while again I, i'm morally speaking for a, a rebuild type of thing where i just don't think you could do it as successfully with draft picks in the nhl as you can in other sports um he's an unrestricted free agent they tried to work out a long-term deal this summer didn't work out so this is essentially like the Aroldis Chapman for the Yankees. Get what format you can now. Shit, maybe August comes around next year. He decides that the money's right. Rangers decide the money's right. They get him back. He's young. He continues to play for the Rangers, and they got the, the, the picks for him also. You got to make that deal. Uh, whether we all love him or we all hate him, he's walking at the end of the year anyway, or he's going to be on his terms now since he wouldn't agree to your terms over the summer. Deal him. But just from a perspective of if I was the GM and, and the statistics I provided many moons ago on show like six or seven uh, about, you know, the success rate of uh, guys in the top 10 of the draft and the 10 after uh, the, the difference statistically is like, was insanity. It was like something around 76% uh, like have a, a significant um, production in the NHL to like, it was like something like, I want to say 9% from pick 11 after. And again, that was show six. So four months ago, I don't, I don't know what the stats were, but it was, it was somewhere around that area. Um, to me, this is just a tough way to go about doing it in this type of sport. So that's my Rangers thought. Uh, pause. Why don't you kind of give your thought on the Rangers and then uh, Chris, give us your, uh, your Penguins thoughts. And if you want to touch on the Rangers, be my guest. I I actually, uh, you know, I, I think they probably could have gotten a little bit more back for, for the Zuccarello in the Zuccarello deal, but I think the, the trade for, for Hayes, I, I kind of like that deal. Um, I, you know, I, I think they they took a little bit of an advantage um, of an, a franchise that, that wants to win now and thinks this is their time to win and, you know, got maybe more than they would have elsewhere for a guy like Kevin Hayes. So I, I, I kind of like that, even though, you know, this, this pick will probably end up as the, you know, 24th, 25th, something like that in the draft. I still like it. Um, like I said, the Zuccarello deal, I thought they might've been able to get a little bit more for him, but um, I, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, it's sad to see him go. I've always liked Zuccarello. He's a really hard worker. He's a great passer. He's a, you know, can score goals, uh, a good team guy. Um, I think you can see that based on the reaction that uh, that Henrik Lundqvist had after he got dealt. So, you know, just goes to show you that he's a good guy to have in the locker room. Kind of sucks what happened to him. Uh, but I think he, if he comes back, he'll, and they can get to the playoffs, he'll probably help them out in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, it's all a matter of if they even get there. And then just in general with the other deals, the McQuaid deal, I mean, look, he wasn't going to be a part of their future, so – you know, whatever I guess to get back from is, is a positive. I don't know. Yes, they gave up more for him than they, they traded him away for. But, uh, look, the Rangers, they're, they're in a rebuild, and it's going to take a few years at least. So, 
I guess stockpiling draft picks uh, is, is the way that they want to go, but uh, we'll see what ends up happening. I just wonder with the Rangers, if maybe they, they held on to guys for maybe a little bit too long. Like, you know, you, you probably drove down the price on Zuccarello a little bit this year by not maybe getting rid of him last year. Um, and, and I think that that's, a, that's one thing, too, is trying to and, – and not every team can do this, and a lot of them don't but it's hard to know when maybe that window isn't open anymore to be able to move a guy. Like, um, you know, even, even I know Henrik Lundqvist, like maybe they never were able to move him or maybe they never wanted to, but they probably could have got a King's ransom for him at one point in time. Um, if they just would have pulled the trigger in hindsight, it's always going to be 2020, but that's always kind of a, that's always kind of a tough thing to have to deal with. Um, and then with regarding with regards to the penguins, um, it, it was always going to be that they were going to have to win if they were going to win this year, they're going to have to win with the guys in the room. They weren't going to go out and, and add a ton of pieces. I think that, you know, when they added Broussard last year, I think the whole point of adding Broussard was that it was supposed to be last year's big trade deadline pickup and in some weird way this year's big trade deadline pickup too because you thought you were getting a top six caliber center to move into your third line role, second line second line um, or second power play center and you were expecting him to you don't need him to have 35 goals but you're expecting him to be able to uh, really deliver in that role and he did not and I think that that really really hurt what Pittsburgh wanted to do Pittsburgh already has a hard enough time I think at times finding teams that are willing to play ball with them a lot because you know nobody wants to continue to help the team that's winning all the time to win. So that makes things challenging. And then the injuries just crushed them. I mean, there's nothing you can do about injuries. Um, I was actually laughing with my buddy today. I, I think that uh, the um, uh, Flyers hurt three of the four Penguins defensemen this year. They hurt Dumoulin, Latang, and they hurt Mata. They hurt Mata a couple weeks ago. So uh, the Flyers have certainly done their damage to the, to the Penguins this year. But, you know, then they're stuck having to go and maybe even overpay a little bit for guys like a Branson or something like that. But, you know, these, these guys that – Hopefully they can just kind of piecemeal together and hope that they can help them win. Um, you know, the biggest thing for the Penguins too is, is is they are going to live and die off of whatever the hell Matt Murray decides to show up in net on a given night because some nights he can go out and he can stop 51 of 52 shots with no problems at all, and he can go out the next night and he can let in some fluky ass goal like he did to let the to let the Flyers um, tie the game on Saturday. And it, it just seems like he's taking a nap or something. So they're only going to go as far as Matt Murray allows them, no matter how well um, Balkan and Crosby play. And that really was kind of the case in the playoffs last year. Matt Murray started to shit the bed a little bit, and, and that was it. And in the playoffs, your best player on the ice, absolutely, night in and night out, has to be your goalie. Um, so we'll see what happens. You know, their trade deadline was what it was, and it was already looking like they weren't going to do too much. Their big trade came, um, what, two weeks ago or a week ago, and they traded for those two guys, McCannon. McCann and Bukestad from Florida. So we'll see, um, you know, right now they're in the ninth spot. They're in the ninth spot. They're on the outside looking in right now. So that's not a good thing. Um, you've only got like 20 games left or something like that. And so you've got to figure out a way to right the ship, especially now down three, you know, three of your top four defensemen. So we'll see what happens starting tomorrow night with the, uh, with the New Jersey Devils. All right. Um, Running semi-short on time, we could save the rub and tub because there's a lot of facets to it that I need Wilds funny and a joke also. There's like, it's like a three-part thing too that also is pretty serious and pretty fucked up. So I don't want to uh, cut that off. Uh, it deserves the 
due diligence. The situation deserves a due diligence. It doesn't deserve a, a laughing joke while it is kind of a joke, but there is also some serious stuff connected to it that should be properly discussed. So we'll save that for Thursday. Antonio Brown being a diva, we could also say for Thursday, we can push that back forever. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of finish up here. Uh, I want to get a little bit in on the New York Yankees. And since we got Chris with us too, he'd give us any Pittsburgh Pirates chatter. This is a, my always favorite time of the year. Uh, March Madness and Selection Sunday is less than three weeks away. March Madness is my personal vacation for four days. And just, um, listen, I drink beer maybe six times a year. I And uh, four of them is just complete binge Thursday through Sunday. And uh, I just, that's a great time. So this is my fair time of the year. Watched all of Yankee spring training games already. Um, I'll say that comical. Listen, no, uh, every, anybody that's ever listened to one episode knows that I think Brian Cashman is the biggest fucking clown, and he's and I proved factually with facts and stats that he's a complete joke and utter disgrace of a GM. Um, there's no denying that. People can argue with me; they're blue in the face. There's one thing that you get are undeniable, and that's factual stats. Um, comical to me, this guy said all year that he didn't want to sign anybody to a long-term contract. He didn't go after Corbin because he wanted too many years, and then he claimed it was money. He didn't want to go after Machado or Bryce Harper because they wanted 10 years. He goes and signs Aaron Hicks to a seven-year ex, uh, extension for $11 million a year. Okay, so Aaron Hicks is going to be 38 years old in three months. 38 years old, three months. So 38 and a third years old when this contract's over and we're paying him $11 million. So this is a guy who has yet in his entire MLB career have less than two DL stints in a season. He's had up to five DL stints in one season before, minimum two every single season. But at 35, 6, 37, 38, he's going to be healthy, right, while we're paying him $11 million. He can't stay healthy now, but at 38 and a third years old, he's going to be healthy then. Okay. So just it just it's just such a joke, and this is straight – this is what I always talk about. This is a straight Brian Cashman move where he has to make sure that his balls go from marble to elephantitis when he makes a signing that works out. And he refuses to get off of it until there's like an explosion. Chase Headley refused. He refused to move him off third base till it was so bad the guy got booed when he walked into the on deck circle that he finally made a deal and got his nuts off on that and got Todd Frazier in to play third base. He makes he goes and grabs Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks will never see a day on the bench because Brian Cashman go get him, so he has to make this deal. Didi will never ever see Tulo Cabat three seventy this year with fucking forty five bombs and a hundred forty RBI in fucking July. He'll, he could have a Babe Ruth here, like he's playing Little League Baseball and T-ball against major leaguers. He would never sit Didi in a million years because he went and made that Didi signing that no one knew about or he claims no one knew about, so he's got to get his rocks. It's a Brian Cashman special. Comical to me, all you people, you, you know, he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's doing. He told you guys five players that blow Aaron Hicks friggin' nuts off his chest from his sack out, they explode him. All these five players are better than him. He won't go get them because the contracts are too long, but he'll sign Aaron Hicks, who, who can literally cannot stay healthy for a week. He'll go sign him to a long-term extension. Uh, in terms of spring training, watched all their games so far. One person that stood out to me is Floriel. Uh, was been ranked a high prospect for the Yankees for a while. I believe now in the in the revision and and with Torres and Andohar not being a prospect status anymore, and the dealing of Sheffield and Chance Adams dropping from glory to complete just uh, scrub hunting basically. I believe Floriel is now our number one prospect in the organization. I'll have to go look. Uh, 
this guy reminds me a lot of a hmm, a Brett Gardner, better bat. Faster and more knowledgeable on the bases. Haven't seen him play defense yet. He had like literally no balls hit to him um, uh, yet since he's been in the field. Uh, but has kind of the same string, uh, same swing. Hits the ball hard. A lot of pop off his bat and runs the bases well. Got on the other day. Didn't he waited no pitches to steal. Stole on first pitch bull time. Was safe by a mile. Uh, scored from second on two left field singles, which is huge because we can never move runners over. Had two singles uh, move guys over. He did that against starters too, not just these you know uh, guys that you'll you'll never hear about again. <clears throat> this was against Glass now and. Uh, um, can't think of the other guy's name, but Tampa used him as an opener a ton last year, and uh, he actually pitched really well. He had like a, a, a sub three uh, ERA, which was really good for that type of thing. You're doing the opener bullpen thing, whatever. Uh, and Voigt uh, is like having a very nice spring again. At this point, look if um, you know we're obviously not bringing Machado over since he's in the Padres. Uh, let's let's just uh, scrub uh, Greg Bird under the dugout already. P- bring someone else up for minors. Maybe Florial, fine. Don't care. Let Luke Voigt just take over. Let him hit lefties and righties. Greg Bird is going to give us nothing. I mean, even if he has his fantastic spring at, at a, after week one, we're never going to hear about Greg Bird anyway. He's going to re-tear his vagina, have to get it sewed up again, and then you know we're going to be back on the same thing, waiting for his his clitoris to heal. So what's the point? Just just enough of him already. Let Luke Voigt keep mashing. And uh, we'll take it from there, first base. Uh, pause, Chris, on uh, the Yanks. And then, uh, pause, give us – or, uh, Chris, any uh, uh, pirate chatter after that? Yeah, I think it's nice to see that uh, Tula Whiskey hit a home run today. Um, or yesterday. No, today. Um, today. I forgot and... to mention that. He also hit it against Toronto. I sent you a tweet, too. I, I yeah. didn't know if you saw it. He's actually making more yep. money than any player uh, in the whole Toronto organization, and he's not even on the uh, Blue Jays. That's pretty sick. And hits it against him. And he, yeah. did you see how pumped up he was? He screamed, let's go, in the Toronto dugout like seven times. Apparently, they told him that he he would never see a Major League Baseball field again. That's why they end up cutting him. But So that's good juice. Uh, I didn't Thank know you that. for mentioning that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, no, Michael I, did, K. I, did, I, did, I heard that on yeah. the Michael K. show today. Yeah, I did see that he said that he's making it like a point that he wants to, you know, prove them wrong and shove it in their face, basically. So, uh, you know, look, hopefully, I mean, look, not that it, not that a player needs motivation to stay healthy, but, uh, you know, maybe it gives them a little extra motivation to hey, I love guys that play with a chip on their shoulder, healthy, man. Yeah. Absolutely love guys yeah, exactly. with a chip on their shoulder. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, nice for them. Uh, I haven't seen the Yankees play yet, unfortunately. Uh, but I think that, look, if they uh, – I agree with you on the Bird standpoint. I mean, Bird sucks. We know what he is. He's he's awful. So, um, if we could get anything else there, ooh, um, you know, if we could – if Voight can, can just be serviceable at first base, I think we'll be all right. But, um, yeah, uh, look, I, like I said, spring's only started – for a couple games, haven't seen anything about him, and uh, I'll find out more later on. Uh, the, the Pirates are just going to be, I don't know. You know, I, I, I think on paper their lineup actually doesn't look half half way too shitty, I guess. Their problem is going to be they're going to hit home runs. Um, they're actually, they have been experimenting a little bit this summer with, and they did started doing it last year too, uh, and as you guys know, being Yankees fans, um, you know, Francisco Cervelli spent an entire career of also being on and off the DL. Um, and he actually had a, a really good season last season. And, and I think they're trying to, 
maybe try him out a little bit more at first base to kind of maybe spell Josh Bell or, and, and also uh, kind of maybe try to keep him upright a little bit more and, and help him out there. They also named Ty on the, the opening day starter. Like, that matters for anything. You know, look, the, the biggest thing with them is is – even if they get enough out of the starters, which might be possible, it's just going to be, are they going to be able to score runs? And that's, that's been their problem. That's going to continue to be their problem. Uh, you know, they, they've got three outfielders, all of which have shown they can hit the ball, but can they hit the ball consistently? Especially when you're talking about Polanco and Marte, we'll see how Dickerson does bouncing back or, well, he had a really good year last year. See if he can put another one together. Um, Colin Moran at third base, He'll have he'll probably have a little bit of competition. Actually, Jung Ho Gung um, hit hit two bombs uh, yesterday in spring training. Uh, you know he's he, assuming that you know he plays well enough in the spring. I've got to think that he's really going to challenge um, Colin Moran for that third base position. Uh, maybe even sprinkle him in over at shortstop because uh, they do have they are going to have Kevin Newman over there at shortstop with no longer having. Um, uh, what I can't remember who they had last year. Trust up, what's his face? But uh, who's actually really serviceable for years? So you know the biggest thing with with the Pirates, Gordy Mercer, the real chatter going. On. Yeah, Mercer, exactly right, Mercer, who was actually a very very good shortstop. He was consistent. You know he he always gave you a solid glove. He's going to give you like a two fifty two fifty five average. He did like enough. You know, but um, so we'll we'll see what happens at shortstop as well. And then they still have Vasquez on the back end to close. It's just a matter of are they going to be able to score enough runs. Um, um, when when the time comes, because that's been their biggest problem, is is they get a, they'll get they'll actually get a good start out of a starter, and it, it happened time and time again last year, and they just couldn't score enough runs, and and really the bullpen did really 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 blow last year. So we'll see. No no real chatter going on, but I I did think it was interesting to see Gun go yard twice yesterday, and and see Cervelli get a little bit more time um, at first base, despite the fact that he's going to be uh, he will be the starting catcher. All right, uh, that'll wrap up our, I don't know, talkative segment. We'll get into the sports betting segment. I'm an asshole. I didn't update any of this. I was super busy today. I need to get on it more. But um, I, don't, I don't even know. I I, I have to look. I, I'll, uh, I'll not go through our records. I'll just do the plays, I guess. Um I just didn't get a chance to update. I'll have all everybody's updated stuff. Everybody's in the green. I know that. So, I mean, that's all that matters. Um, by pretty, everybody's over a thousand in the green too. So, um, let's see, uh, two for me tomorrow. Um, I, I don't understand how this Duke spread is three or I don't know what it is now, but it, it came out at three before we got on the show. Uh, listen, Virginia tech lives and dies by the three. Our guard play shits on their face. They have one forward on their entire roster. Their other forward is out for the year and um, their best player is out for the year. This Virginia tech team is not good. Um, there is no way that Duke loses to this basketball team. Uh, three is a complete steal. You want to take the money line, be my guest. I don't care. Um, they should blow Virginia Tech out of the water. I don't know. I, I'm just looking here. What do I have left? Um, I, whatever my highest amount left um, that I have looks like. Let's see. I've, I've used 1,000. In February, two seven fifty. So I have up. Oh, I use both thousand. So this will be a five hundred dollar play for me, uh, for sure. Uh, Duke will blow the. It should blow this team out of the water. Zion or not, doesn't matter. Our guard play shits on their face. Um, next one, uh, I like UNC small. Um, 
kind of pause mentioned earlier and, and, uh, and so did I. I, I don't like, I don't love this team all that much. People have really blown them after the, the win against Duke without Zion. There's no way we get beat on the boards like that. That's all everybody's done to us when Zion's been out. That game is uh, a Duke win easily when he's in the game. Uh, I just don't think Syracuse is all that good. They don't have a consistent offense. Um, everything kind of going on over there, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, they come off uh, blowing a game to Duke without Zion, now have to go to North Carolina in Chapel Hill. The games they competed with have been against the bottom barrel of the league, and I just think North Carolina is playing at their peak right now and are, are peaking a little bit too early. They kind of should have waited a couple weeks for this. Um, and I just thought minus 11 was uh, a little short. That will be a small play for me, 100. I actually liked an NHL game tomorrow. Uh, Carolina against LA, but um, I found that North Carolina game, so I guess I'll take North Carolina must eleven and set. Pause. Yeah, I'll be quick here. I'm gonna bang this Duke spread as well, just like you for a thousand. Um, I think this should not really be a very close game, and then I'm also gonna be in for two fifty on this uh, on Texas A&M getting eleven, eleven and a half, twelve, whatever line you have it. As, oh, um, man, I was going to do it, dude. I was going to do it. Yep. I said there's no way this team will Absolutely. ever win by more than a couple points. All right, yep. good. I'm so glad I'll one of us in, is on it. Go I'll ahead. be in for, for, two fit, for 250 on Texas A&M. Okay. Uh, uh, Chris? Um, yeah, just taking a look here. Um, I, I really got to pay more attention to college basketball. Um, give me – I'm going to take this uh, – I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna go. I, I think I have a thousand dollar bet left here, and I, I know as you guys were talking about them earlier, but I'm gonna actually go ahead and take. Um, yeah, screw it. I'm gonna go with it. Give me. Give me. I'm gonna take the Iowa. I'm actually gonna take Iowa on the road at plus two. Um, they're in. They're in uh, Columbus at Ohio State. Um, I just don't think this Ohio State team's very good from what I've seen. Um, which isn't very much, so you know maybe I'll actually bet real money on it. And then, uh, and then just give me, give me the. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a $500 bet on 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 the big old the big old Kentucky spread too um, that they've got. I'm seeing 17. I don't know what you have on your side, but um, they're they're at home against Arkansas as well. Yeah, I looked at that one too. I just I didn't know if Kentucky. I hate when well, you just never know if they're gonna fucking show up or not. These guys, they're unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Uh, anybody want to get at anything else at all? That's not like lengthy. We got like two minutes, thirty seconds. Pause. What's the Kansas, yeah, Kansas been, State uh, game looking like? So there, yeah. So Kansas State's down seven at halftime, but the referees are one hundred percent in the pocket of Kansas to start this game. <laughs> um, it's really kind of unbelievable, actually. Uh, the amount of times that Brown has gotten fouled going to the hole and it not getting called. Um, and then also Brown, Wade, and Sneed all have two fouls. So the three big seniors oh, wow. uh, for Kansas, Kansas State, State all has, have yeah. two fouls. Kansas so. State has nine, nine fouls to two. They're getting killed on the glass, though. Yeah. They're getting out-rebounded yeah, 20, 24 to 12. Sneed and, yeah, Sneed and Wade have been out basically the entire – the last 10 minutes of the second half they've been out of the game. Did you actually go real cash on so. this or no? Uh, I did a little bit, very small, but I, I have a little bit okay. of money on it. All right. We'll have to talk to after the show about it. Well, anybody, yep. when I tell you there's an all-in play, that means to just do whatever you got to do. Duke is not losing that game tomorrow. So 
do whatever you gotta do. Mortgage the house. I don't care. And if you if it, they lose, just come yeah. talk to me later. I'll be here. Just I'll be here every Tuesday, uh, Monday, Thursday, and usually on Friday or Saturday for the college game day show. I'm not hard to find. Six five seven three three one six nine two. That's right. You do, and you it's legal in uh in your land of the area now, dude. So absolutely get after it. Sports get after it. All right, that'll wrap up our Monday night. February 25th, 2019 show. You give us a follow, Uncut Sports Talk, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we're also, all these episodes get ripped in the podcast at Uncut Sports Talk on iTunes Radio, or no, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and they're always on Blog Talk Radio. After this, to the guy who said that Villanova was going to win another national title again. I didn't know anything about college basketball. I'm still waiting to hear from you. That number again, just in case you uh, forgot it, 657-383-1692. We thank our guest co-host, Chris, for joining us again. And as always, from your host, Rhino, and co-host, Paz, thanks for listening. Villanova sucks. Do Blue Devils by 20 tomorrow. Later. <laughs>